Welcome to the Chelsea of Good Cheer podcast. My name is Chelsea and I'm your host. I'm also a heartbroken mom on a journey to find cheer, spread cheer, and continue to live with cheer in my life after the sudden and tragic death of my precious son, Baylor. Follow along with me every other week to gain a glimpse into the heart and mind of a grieving mom. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited you're here. You are currently listening to episode number four. I can't tell you how much it means to me to receive the support and the feedback and the love that I have um, since we started this in the beginning of October. So we're just shy of being up and running for one month and I just feel so motivated by everybody cheering me on. So for today's episode, you're going to hear a little bit of an update, just a general update about our life and how my family's doing and what we're struggling with, what we're doing, what what's making us happy. Just I'll give you kind of an update. And then I want to tell the story about how this moment of something that's not even related to grief or being sad kind of threw me into like a spiral of contemplating how that event or that moment related so much to my life in such a weird way, but it also made so much sense. So I'm going to share that. And then I also have a recording session from back in April, actually two separate short recording sessions from back in April, kind of um, all about Easter. And it was it was around Easter, a little bit before Easter and a little bit after Easter and just kind of some sad moments and whatever I wanted to share back in April, and I will add that onto the podcast after I do my update and then tell that little story. So that's what you're going to hear today on the podcast. So I'm happy to say that our life has kind of slowed down ever since the summer. I mean, not really, but our summer was absolutely insane, and I really want to talk about that in a different podcast episode about how that made me feel and just all of our events that happened over the summer. But that's going to be on a later podcast, so stay tuned for that. Um, But we have really kind of slowed down since the summer, and it has felt really good. We just aren't pushing ourselves to do so much stuff, and I like that. And that was something that Nick really needed um, after talking in therapy. And sometimes I think I like to go, 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 go because I'm avoiding being, I don't know, in a quiet space because it makes me sad. So I like the go, 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 but in the long run, that just doesn't serve me well. So it's been feeling really good as we've kind of settled into more of a calm season in our life. Of course, it's busy with sports and school and all that stuff, but um, not a lot of traveling and that has felt really good, especially over fall break. We stayed home. Nick had to travel a little bit for work, but I was home with the kids and we had like zero plans and it ended up being really, really awesome. So one thing that is keeping me up at night currently with racing thoughts and emotions and feelings is that there is another E. coli outbreak in our state right now. And there are kids receiving lots of critical care at a couple different hospitals, one being the hospital that where Baylor died. And 
I have been following along the story you know, with all the stories of all the children that are at the hospitals. A lot of their parents are sharing their stories on social media. And of course, I'm one of those people that are checking back daily, sometimes frequent, more frequently in the day than I would even care to say, just kind of checking on the kids and seeing what they're doing. Some of the kids were very close to passing away, but kind of have pulled through. And it is just such a weird feeling to see a lot of the things that we dealt with in the hospital to be kind of repeating itself. And I know that E. coli and HUS, which is when the kidneys are now being affected by the E. coli. So I know that 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 combination of E. coli and HUS can cause so much to go wrong in a little child's body. But hearing the stories of these kids kind of pulling through, it really breaks my heart because the day that Baylor died, the day before Baylor died, he was just kind of on maintenance mode is what they kept telling us because he wasn't really sick enough to be receiving dialysis, which many kids do. He wasn't getting any blood transfusions, which many people do when they're, when they have E. coli. And we were really just on maintenance mode and then he crashed and his he died he went into cardiac arrest and he died now there's a lot of other details that happened after that and it's hard to really kind of come up with the words to tell about what happened but to see that these kids are receiving so much care and they're receiving dialysis and they're receiving blood transfusions and they're getting you know all sorts of medication to stabilize their um, heart rate and everything like that. And just to think that Baylor never got any of that. And I just, it breaks my heart to pieces over and over. And I think the what if game, like the what if, what could I have done more? It really, this is the time, this is just where I'm feeling that is really haunting me. So I definitely want to talk more about E. coli and what happened to us in the hospital. And I even have an interview set up uh, for one to speak with one of the other moms that was in the same outbreak as us. And her son was sick for a week in the hospital with E. coli as well. And he survived. And we're going to just talk about our experience with everything. And we didn't know each other before the outbreak, but now we have become really close and kind of bonded over trying to find a way to spread awareness about petting zoos and E. coli, especially with little children. Okay, next I'm going to talk about how this moment over fall break with my kids kind of led me into the spiral of creating this analogy in my head of puzzles and my life. And of course, a lot of people say that when someone dies that they love, that's like missing a puzzle piece. And I truly feel like that. And I wrote this out the other day and just I wanted to remember it because it kind of took me by surprise about how emotional I felt when my kids and I were doing puzzles. So 
over fall break, just a few weeks ago, we were doing puzzle mania. It's what we call it when we're kind of doing like a clean out of our puzzle bin or like our container full of puzzles. We just get all the puzzles out and we do all of them. We have a ton of like those inexpensive kind of cheap uh, puzzles, some more for toddler age and some for, you know, pretty difficult, like 100 or 200 pieces. So we we call it puzzle mania. And so we had a day of doing nothing over fall break. So we got out all the puzzles and we worked, you know, just throughout the day, sometimes together and sometimes on our own puzzles. And we finished. And there's always a time that we come to the end and some of the puzzles are missing pieces or have damaged pieces. But um, especially because last time I feel like we did this, we had two foster puppies. And I remember that they were chewing up a lot of the pieces. So we finished a lot of our puzzles, or I think all of them, and noticed that some were missing pieces. So I was telling Bodhi after he finished one, I was like, when you clean that one up, just throw it away. And when I said that, my heart literally skipped a beat. I know that I kind of can have attachment issues to like stuff and toys and material objects, but this was way more than that. I literally had to hold back tears when I started to analyze and relate this to my life and feelings about my life. Back when I had Baxley, our fourth child, it was March of 2022, and we knew our family was complete after welcoming a little girl into a family of three boys, and to feel like you have unlocked this secret level of happiness and completeness to be proud of what you've created, to be so proud of what you've created that this puzzle that you've worked on and dreamed of completing is finally finished. That feeling of accomplishment, Nick and I truly felt like this puzzle of life was fitting together and it felt so good. Until like four months later when Baylor died and our world came crashing down to have a piece of that puzzle taken away and lost and all the pieces around it are a little bit damaged now and different some damage more than others but the loss of that missing piece has caused a ripple of damage through the whole puzzle in every aspect of our life if one is missing a piece we toss them out and that is just so sad it's even hurts me to like say because as it relates to my life, if one of the pieces is now gone and can't be brought back in this life here on earth, is then it a waste to even do that puzzle when we know that we're never going to be able to finish it and see see like the final finished product? Is that puzzle worth anything anymore? Like, is my life now worth anything? I know that all sounds a little extreme, but just assuming I live till age 70. <laughs> and so for half my life, I'm going to have to live this life of knowing that I'll never get to complete my puzzle. And no matter how hard I search for that piece, I'll never feel like my puzzle is finished because we're missing Baylor. So I'm going to work on this, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Talk about this at therapy. And as a part of my grief journey, how do I find the motivation in my life when I know I'll never get a chance to finish my puzzle? Why would I work on a puzzle, my puzzle of life, if you get to the end and you know it's not complete? There are a few quick solutions that I just kind of thought up 
because I've been thinking about this just because when something hits you so hard like that, I feel like I owe it to myself to kind of work through like my emotions about that specific thing. Like how does a puzzle, working on puzzles with your kids turn into this huge thing that that is keeping you up at night and, you know, just asking yourself all these questions about your life. It's just, I'm obviously kind of spiraling about it. But so I'm trying to come up with solutions for myself. And one is the fact that even though your puzzle will never be complete, did you still have fun working on it? Like if you're doing like an a thousand piece puzzle and you're like, there's a couple pieces at the end that are missing and the dog chewed up a couple of the pieces as well. So just to let you know, we're not going to be able to really finish it. But are you having fun while you're doing it? Are you getting to hang out and spend quality time with your family and friends? Like that's how I'm going to try and perceive my life as this broken puzzle that will never be fixed. I'm going to think of it as enjoy the journey, like enjoy the fun times that you are going to have as you work towards the end of the puzzle. I guess that gives this whole dark feeling and thoughts about this puzzle situation. It gives a little bit of like a lighter feeling for me. Like I'm just going to enjoy the ride. It's okay if it's not perfect at the end. I'm going to enjoy the ride while I'm here. Also, I want to be able to like take pride in this puzzle that I'm creating, even if it's not perfect. And I want to be fulfilled. Like I, I still want to be proud and fulfilled about my puzzle, even though I know that at the end, it's going to be a little bit broken and a little bit damaged. And I just want to be okay with knowing that that's okay. So we kind of discussed a little bit about this at therapy. It just makes me remember something that we've worked on in therapy and it is about Nick and I lowering our expectations for our life and for happiness and that never sounds good coming out. It also didn't feel good coming in when our therapist told us that that's something we might need to do but it does make sense especially when I talk about it in this whole along with this whole puzzle situation. So maybe that's what I need to do just kind of think about my life as okay this puzzle is never going to be complete it's going to be a little bit broken edges and it's not going to fit all right but it's still your puzzle and you're going to make the most of it and you're going to try to live a fulfilled life doing things that make you happy and and meaningful with your family and friends and yeah and then at the end you're going to be proud of your puzzle I would love some feedback on this, especially people who have been through hard times. Have you ever thought about your life like this? Or is this just me overanalyzing all the emotions and and just the things about grief? But we're moving on to the next part of this podcast, which is a flashback of a recording session from back in April. Today is April 5th. It's a Wednesday. Baxley's napping. The boys are both in school. Um, I It's been heavy and hard because in Nashville last week, Monday, was the shooting at the school um, where three children died and three employees at the school died as well. It was hard just knowing that a parent is going through 
what we went through in our same town. Probably one of the hardest things to kind of wrap my head around is knowing when I heard that they took all the children to Vanderbilt, just something that kind of really connected me personally to the shooting. Um, There's a lot of differences that was so traumatic um, for those families and those kids, and it's horrible and But just knowing that those kids went to Vanderbilt, the ICU, critical care, floor, I just, we think about that aspect a lot because we're still legally dealing with, legally and medically dealing with figuring out what happened to Baylor in the hospital that day that he died. So it's just in our head a lot. So I think relating that moment and hearing that those kids went to Vanderbilt brought it to like such a personal level because I'm like okay those same doctors that worked on Baylor that day might have seen those kids and more so thinking about the parents being in the hospital when your child dies or is pronounced dead it's just something you want to forget every day but you never will Just knowing those walls in that tiny little waiting area and the people that, you know, are trying to comfort you. Something I don't want to ever think about, but then when that kind of thing happens and you see that, you know, all the children were taken to Vanderbilt, it's just like, brings you back to those moments. I remember Tuesday of last week after the shooting, the day after the shooting, like it was a beautiful day and the birds were chirping. And I know that feeling of, you know, the parents probably, you know, just lived lived their worst possible life the day before, 24 hours before they had their daughter. And then waking up that next day is the most surreal thing ever. I mean, every, you know, we were such, we were in such shock too, because the day before, Sunday morning, Baylor was, you know, alive, and then he just crashed and died, and everything unfolded Sunday, and, you know, we were out of the hospital without Baylor at, like, 8 p.m. Sunday night, and so you wake up Monday morning, and thinking about that feeling for that family and their kids and stuff like that, it's heartbreaking and brings everything back but for the most part I think I've talked about this before um I don't know I have such a weird perception of death now almost like insensitive and I don't like it and it's just we have lived one of that losing one of our most precious things something that was so connected to us and we create Nick and I created and and then they go to heaven it's just like such a reality Moms who've lost their child literally have one foot in heaven and one foot here on earth. And that's just the way I can say it. We're just not fearful of like the things that we used to be because if we die, you know, then we get to be with Baylor. But I almost have like this reoccurring image of me standing up and like a big boulder is pushing me forward, which is life pushing me forward even though I don't want to, and I'm dragging my heels, trying to go backwards, but you just can't, and you just have to, like, finally realize that you just have to start walking along with the thing that's pushing you from behind. Life just pushes you forward, and every morning, the birds are chirping, and 
the sun comes up and your kids wake up and you have to too. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, yesterday was hard because it was um, it was the egg uh, hunt at our school and so Benson had his egg hunt and Baxley and I went and watched him and um, it was really sweet. But of course, like it's one of those moments that I always think about, you know, Baylor should be here doing his and I can see, you know, his friends getting their eggs. And I also remember it's just so hard for me this time of year because from when Baxley was born until Baylor died, it's like those three, four months were like the happiest days of my life. I felt so complete. I think we were like just, my heart was just so full and just to think that I'll never have that feeling again is hard. But yesterday was just, I just told someone, I'm just on the edge today. I feel like when I say I'm on the edge, it sounds very dramatic, but it's just like the best description of how I feel like any wrong move, any wrong I look any wrong conversation that I hear could push me over the edge of, you know, just having a huge meltdown, which I just don't like to do in front of my students or even in front of Benson, especially like I don't want him to be at the Easter egg hunt. Why is my mom crying and like hugging? I know we've I've, t- I've mentioned that on here before. It is important for kids to see that. And but there's also a time where I don't want my kids to remember my mom being sad all the time all these happy moments that I have and my mom is crying you know getting consoled and hugged by other people I don't I don't want that for me and my kids personally they have been through enough they have seen a lot they have lost their brother they are trying to live a childhood of their own and I don't want that I just don't want that for them hey everyone uh yeah it's been heavy it's been a lot. Um, I'm going to check the date. It's April 12th, just after Easter. It is Wednesday. Baby's napping. I've got like 30 minutes to spill my guts on um, the last week. And just like a lot. It's been going down. First of all, I wanted to talk about Easter. Um, it was horrible. So hard. I can't even tell you the pain that we are experiencing in this short like three month span of when Baxley was born in March until June of when Baylor died. Um, Happiest days of our lives, days that we will never go back and get to relive or even have the same amount of joy that we had in those days. And so that is the most painful feeling you could ever experience, especially because I feel so young um, and Nick and I have so much life to live, our kids, and so, like, to go back, we will never have that joy that we had for those three months ever again, and that's so hard. Um, Easter was so hard because it's in that, that time frame of when we had four incredible babies, healthy kids, that we were just, like, living the dream. I remember, so this, this, Easter, we sat the kids down in their pajamas that they all wore last year with the little bunnies on them. Um, and 
we set them down on the fireplace where we sat them last year with their Easter baskets that they had last year. We have four Easter baskets with all everybody has their name tag. And um, when I sat them down, I was feeling okay. I was actually feeling pretty numb this weekend, just like going through motions and being there for my kids. Um, but I was, nobody was home in my brain. Truly nobody was home. And I talked about that at therapy yesterday. Like, so I was taking the kids pictures and I, Nick started crying and Bodie, of course, asked, he's like, why are you crying? And we were having such like a happy moment, but of course we're both hearts are melting, picturing them on our white fireplace and we're missing a child. And um, so, but Nick just, we just kind of brushed past it and I was like, say cheese, you know, and, um, later that night we were putting the kids to bed and I was sitting in their room, the boys room. Um, and I was looking at pictures. I needed like a grieve, grieving, like I needed to grieve a little bit. I had held it in all day besides at church and stuff, but I held it in and I just wanted to look at our pictures from last year, which I is really, really hard for me. I still don't really love to look at pictures of Baylor, but I found that picture of when they were all four on the fireplace and I was just having a moment. Like, that was great. But then I went and sat in the boys' room and I started crying again and Bodhi was kind of looking at me, I guess, and he asked me why I was crying and I said, I'm just looking at pictures of Baylor. I just miss him so much. And he didn't say anything, but um, it was just like, you just think about him and you know, everything you had. So yeah, Easter was hard. The message of Easter and the the meaning of Easter is so different for us now because everything that God gave us, the gift of heaven, um, all that can I live for. I mean, I've said this before that we have one foot in heaven and one foot here on earth. And we know that the only way that I'm getting through this is to know that I'm going to see Baylor again. I wouldn't get through this without that so I'm hoping that I guess my hope for this podcast is always that someone can listen to this and feel like they're not alone because that's something that I searched for for a long time is I didn't want to feel alone in my grief if you enjoyed this podcast episode today and you want to continue to follow along on my journey to finding a cheerful life and continuing to try and find those cheerful moments in the midst of grief click the follow button share this with your friends who might be going through a hard time and i hope that you will tune in to my next episode that will be out in two weeks